There we are. Awesome. Well, let's pray and we'll dive into God's word this, this morning. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I just thank you, God, and I praise you for, God, for who you are. As we come to you this morning, we come humbly um, as people who are desperate and in desperate need of your continued grace. God, we pray that uh, as we study your word this morning, uh, you allow us to catch a glimpse of yourself. Allow us to see uh, your holiness. Uh, God, allow us to cling to you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, flip to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to dive right in this morning. A lot to cover. Galatians chapter uh, 6. I, I apologize. Galatians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. As you're turning there. And if this seems familiar as we read this, it, it should. Okay. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Something that we talked about last week, this idea of bearing one another's burdens, of of coming alongside a struggling brother or sister in Christ. And so maybe as a result from last week, or maybe even during this sermon last week, we're thinking, how does this happen? How, how do we safeguard in this, in this time that we are not a, a spiritual policeman, that, that we do this accurately, that we come alongside one another as God has intended? Well, praise the Lord that he doesn't leave us there. It doesn't stop in verse 2. But he gives us some of the ways, starting in verse 3. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. A weighty, a weighty passage indeed. When Pastor Tim told me what passage I would be preaching, I said, are you trying to say something? When he said, if, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And, and maybe that's what we think as soon as we look at a passage like this and we say, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And there's a couple different ways we can go with a phrase like that. I think back of when I was in high school and I played soccer, and there was a kid who, who was average at best at soccer. And he was one who thought he was going to play professional soccer for the rest of his life. And so he waited, and as all of us had, had decided on colleges and knew where we were going, he was, he was still waiting, and we said, Josh, where are you going to college? And he said, I'm still waiting for that full ride. It was August before the semester started. And so some of us think of that, and we think, Okay, those who think themselves something, when in fact they're really not that good, are are deceiving themselves. I think Paul's going a little bit deeper than that. 
He's saying those that think they're good soccer players, when the truth is no man is a good soccer player, he deceives himself. More of a parenthetical thought. More of a thought that we can, we can take out and the sentence still makes sense. Listen to it this way. For if anyone thinks he is something, he deceives himself. And Paul adds something we all should be aware of, but we are nothing. This morning, as we, we talk about coming alongside and bearing one another's burdens, as we talk about doing this accurately, so often when we think, oh, I'm going to come alongside someone who's struggling, and the problem is, the reason I don't do that is, I don't have enough self-esteem I don't think enough about myself to come alongside them and help them where they're at. Paul's shooting that one down. It's not because you think too lowly of yourself. It's because you think too highly of yourself. We're going to talk about two main ideas this morning. Two sub-points each for those of you that are taking notes. The first of which, somethingness gives way to true destruction. Somethingness gives way to true destruction. Or, destructiveness comes from somethingness. I know I'm making up a lot of words this morning. There's one in your bulletin. But destructiveness comes from somethingness. The first thing Paul lays out for us is the destruction of self-deceit. The destruction of self-deceit. This is something that we see all the way, and we can, we can look at all the way from the beginning, in Adam and Eve in the garden. And the serpent comes and says, you can be like God puffing themselves up, thinking there's something leading to the first sin. We can see this in Paul when he writes his letter to the Romans, and it says, thinking themselves wise, they became fools. Because we know that the true wisdom comes from God. The fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom, as Proverbs say. Peter in saying, who, who is the greatest disciple? Not soon after claims are made, does he deny his Savior? And even more than that, does he curse? Most in the time thinks he was cursing God himself. The Pharisees claim somethingness and how they, others viewed them. And Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Matthew 23, verse 27. So now Paul takes this truth, this truth that's evident in all of Scripture, and extends it to the church in Galatia. His primary audience is clear, but yet he speaks in general terms to apply it to every person in every age. What a hindrance it is to our growth to think, I have arrived. I'm a spiritual giant. 
as I was looking and, and, and reading and, and studying this week, I came across so many quotes, and I just want to read a few of them today. One pastor put it this way, if God were to come down and look at my life and say, you're awesome, I would have no hope. I would feel defeated. I struggle daily against temptation. My hope must lie in something greater than myself. Another put it, self-denial is the first principle of Christianity. It is the lifeblood by which must run through the whole body of religion. Self-denial is learned not out of the topics of philosophy, but the oracles of Scripture. Still another, self-denial is the foundation of godliness. And if it is not well laid, all the building will fall. For as Jesus had said in Luke 9, verse 23, If any man come after me, let him deny himself. If we are not denying ourselves and promoting Christ, then we are promoting ourselves and denying Christ. And this is a dangerous place to be, especially in the greater context of bearing one another's burdens. When we glory in self, we live in opposition to the, to the danger Paul set in 1 Corinthians 10 when he said, He that thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Those who boast in their own spirituality and wisdom are deceiving themselves because during that, the greater cunning of Satan is holding them bondage to their pride. We see this in different areas of life. And even last weekend when we went to Reverb, uh, we were traveling. And, and this happens just about uh, every time we go somewhere uh, new uh, or, or big. So we go to Johnstown first. We go to Johnstown first, and then we, we, we kind of backtrack to Altoona. And last year we got lost because we, we followed Google Maps. And so this year we say, hey, let's try Apple Maps. And I know everybody's slamming on Apple Maps. I get that. Okay. But we said, last year Google led us astray. This year we're following Apple Maps. And so, so we follow them to Altoona. And we're going to this ice rink. And we wind up in downtown Altoona, little little uh, housing district in there. And the GPS says, you have arrived. And so we look around, and during this, I, I have a van load of, of students, and I can try to deceive myself. I can try to deceive them and say, no, we're really here. This is the ice rink. But that's not going to last. That is foolishness. Because we've not arrived. But how many of us do this in our spiritual life? Claiming to have arrived when we are so far away. Arrival is Christ-likeness. To say we have arrived is to say we are like Christ. That does not happen in this life. How many of us spend countless hours trying to impress others with our, with our godliness when the only person whose opinion matters is the one we cannot fool? How many of us spend sleepless nights convincing ourselves it wasn't wrong what I did instead of confessing that sin before our Father in heaven. This doesn't end with deceiving ourselves. And Paul makes this 
very clear. Look at what he says in in verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Look at the contrast in verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbors. there's There's a contrast, and there's another contrast within that contrast going back to the first point. Here's what I mean by that. If we think we're something when we're nothing, we deceive ourselves. But the contrast being, look to ourself. The contrast to look to ourself is not to our neighbor. In other words, not to our neighbor is a way that we deceive ourselves if we're looking to our neighbor. Is there a way in which this sin, this idea of self-conceit, this idea of self or somethingness, is there a way that it can fester, that it can build, that it can just grow exponentially? Is there a way that it can just feast? If you ever watch Shark Week and, and, and you know what the term chum is, is they throw out this bait, they throw out this, 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 this fish stuff for sharks to come, and sharks just come and they just feed on it like crazy, and it just like calls them in. And it is, we... Compare ourselves to others. This somethingness, this idea of self-love, feeds on the comparison of others. It's the bigger idea, even in Scripture, of this idea of comparative righteousness. We don't look to Christ for our righteousness. We don't look to Christ and compare ourselves. We look to other people. Specifically, we look to other believers in Jesus Christ. And the problem that lies with that is where do we know a lot of believers in Jesus? In our local church. And so we come to church not looking to bear burdens, but looking for our prey. And I speak that way, I speak in this term of prey and and us even as this predatory animal because we don't seek out the strong. We don't seek out those that make us look bad. We seek out those that we see weakness. We see they're not as good as us. We go to home group and we hear about a, a couple struggling with marriage And we go home, and as a couple, we don't fall to our knees praying and saying, how can we come alongside that couple? We say, we we just kind of mumble under our breath, see, I'm not as bad as them. See, honey, you should be lucky that you have me as a husband. Although we fall desperately short of loving our wives as Christ loved the church. But yet it makes us feel better in that instance. And so we feed off from that. I think even in the digital age, and we look at Facebook statuses and people in the church, and we say, but they did that. And they're doing this, and I saw them like this page. So that means I'm okay. And so we pray. Listen very clearly. Isn't that a striking similarity between the betrayal of Satan? 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and sober mind. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The irony is that as we seek to devour other believers, it is bearing witness to our being devoured. We are overtaken by pride and self-conceit. The one who devours is being devoured. We're giving way to this idea of self-conceit. We're stopping and limiting our spiritual growth. When Pastor put it this way, as he was, he was saying, people don't need to hear more about their sin. People don't need to hear more about this. They need to, they need to hear about Jesus because they already know that they're sinners. And he said, people don't know they're sinners. They look to the people on the evening news. They look to other people and say, those people are the sinners. Those people are wicked. The truth is that some of us are doing this right now. Why do I know that's true? Because I did it. In studying this week, it's so easy to say, so-and-so needs to hear this. Or maybe you're saying, hey, preach it. These heathens need to hear it. These less thans need to hear it. And in doing so, we're hardening our heart to the truth of God's Word. Do we belittle other believers and in doing so, ruin the testimony of faith? Didn't Jesus give a challenge to those around him? He said, you will know their mind by the way that they love one another. That's no, not going to happen if we're too busy loving ourselves by stomping on others. If we're quicker to glory in ourselves while they are down, instead of coming alongside and caring and lifting them to their feet, we will not be a church that showcases the love of Christ, but a church that showcases the love of self. And maybe at this point you're saying, hey, this is kind of depressing. This is, this is, this is kind of harsh. This is kind of, this is kind of hitting me at, right there. Like, isn't there hope in this? Yes, there is. There's beautiful blessing. And that's where we get to this other half, this other side, this other made point of the two sub-points. This idea that nothingness gives way to true blessing. Nothingness gives way to true blessing. Or to put it another way, blessedness comes through nothingness. Blessedness comes through nothingness. The first idea of this we see in verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. One theologian said, We cannot aspire to him in earnest until we have begun to be displeased with ourselves. The first blessing that we see is the blessing of recognizing God at work in your life. The blessing of recognizing God at work in your life. As we rid ourselves of us, we capture more and more of the glory of God. (laughs) As this passage says, let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself. Maybe some of our eyebrows are raising. Maybe some red flags are going off. If that's you, that was me. Wait a minute, doesn't this contradict Paul when he said in Ephesians... Uh, it's by grace you've been saved, so you don't boast? 
Isn't this idea of boasting, aren't you contradicting what you said even in the first point, this idea of not glorying in ourselves? Is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth here? Some, in thinking that, say, says Paul is, is speaking in irony. He's saying, don't look to others, look at yourself, and you're going to see what a train wreck you really are. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. And I think that's clear in his language when he says, test yourselves. It's really the expectation of success. 2 Corinthians says it this way, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ is in you? Unless you indeed fail the test. It's an expectation of success. Same language there. Some of us have a hard time with this because we say, how can we glory in ourselves? But as we taste nothingness, as we recognize that any spiritual good is a result of God at work in us, that's when we can take joy. That's when we can boast. Because we recognize that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of salvation. Or as as Philippians puts it, as we work out our salvation in fear and troubling, we recognize it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Recognizing this fruit is not only acceptable, but should be a practice of a believer's life. As we fight sin, we can rejoice in victories that God gives us through his grace. I like this quote. It says, A Christian must not deny his grace. He must not disown any good wrought in him. He ought not to say to the that he is a dry branch when the dew of heaven lies on his branches. As it is a sin to make himself better than he is, so it is to make himself worse. To say he has grace when he has none is presumption. To say he has no grace when he has is ingratitude. It is bearing false witness against the Spirit of God. We see that God is at work by recognizing our nothingness. We see that God is continually patching us up as we plead out. And now we come alongside other believers to bear burdens. And we don't go as someone who is donned with medals of our own victory. But we come as a wounded warrior, bending down and dressing the wounds of those around us. We don't point to others and say, I am better. But we humbly come alongside and say, I was there. Through the grace of God, you can battle this too. I will walk alongside you for as long as it takes. This person wants to come alongside, not for other people to look like them, but for them to point other people to Christ. They're the Samaritan who does not just see and address the situation, but follows up and genuinely cares. Do you see evidence of God at work in your life? 
do you fall into a temptation of blaming God for sin in your life and taking credit for the fruit? Or in your nothingness, do you give all the credit to God as He's working in your life and recognize that we're not there yet? The second blessing that we see is the blessing of seeing the beauty in someone greater bearing our burdens. Look at this in verse 5. For each will bear his own load. Again, this seems like a contradiction. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. Verse 5. Each will bear his own load. What is this talking about? Hopefully up to this point we can see his language is a little bit different. He's, he's going on, but what are we talking about here? Paul says in Judgment Day, when you come face to face with God, you, you don't get to bring anybody else with you. You're accountable for your own life. It's you. What a scary thought that is. It is us. But yet, as a believer, what a comforting thought that is. It is this thought that drives us to God. As one person said, every person coming to the knowledge of himself is not only urged to seek God, but is also led by the hand to find Him. We can't bear our own burdens. We can't. We're standing before God and we can't do it. Some of us, through our somethingness, we think, yes, I can. But we can't take Scrooge, we can't take the Grinch with us on Judgment Day. Some of us might like that. But listen to this. We have them stand next to us in glory in our goodness, but how much better is it for us on Judgment Day to have Christ, who though we fall short, says, I am here in their place. Measure my holiness. Compare my life to your holy standard. Remember their judgment has already been poured out on me at Calvary. I have took the punishment they deserve. What a blessing that is. What a hope we have. What an assurance. There is none greater. There is none more worthy than the one who instead of claiming somethingness became nothing by coming to this earth so that he could rescue some nothings and make them through his grace into somethings. That's our God who came down, who humbled himself to the point of being like man, came to this earth and died on a cross so that as we come and bear our own burdens, we recognize that someone greater has already paid that price. Someone, someone greater says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And that person is Jesus Christ. That person sits at the right hand of God and testifies for us. As we look at this concept of bearing one another's burdens, 
Let's forsake our somethingness in pursuit of that Savior. Let's recognize our nothingness and reap the blessings, not only personally, but also as a local body, as we come alongside one another and say, I am struggling too, but by the grace of God, I am where I am, and I can take joy in that. I want you to experience that joy as well. It's this morning that we celebrate that joy. It's this morning that we celebrate that sacrifice that that Jesus paid as He went to the cross bearing our burdens. As He became nothing, though He was and always is something. So that we might become something. And so we celebrate what he did on the cross this morning. As he met with his disciples for the last supper. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. So he took the cup this is my blood. I just pour it out for you. This, this is where our hope lies. This is a reminder of the greater hope that we have in Christ. Let's not fall into the trap of comparing. But let's take joy in what He has done and come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. At this time, if I could have the elders come forward as we hand out the elements of the Lord's Supper.